1: Feel like
2: Kobe in the fourth
3: quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And Wednesday night in Golden State was round two of the Wolves against Andrew Wiggins and the Warriors. This one, however, felt a lot less about Wiggins specifically, and more just about about basketball. And I want to get into that uh, the basketball game right away, and and just how for the for the second consecutive game the Timberwolves found themselves down by twenty points before the fourth quarter. I'm assuming that more of you listeners than normal were able to watch this game because it was on national TV and thus not blacked out by your local TV carrier. Shout out to Dave, Jim, and Marnie. I still watch it on an FSN. And man, how about Jim? Jim was on one tonight about Wiggins. I just, for those of you who don't have League Pass and because of that, you know, aren't watching other teams' broadcasts, so you, you can't compare and contrast, let me just, just tell you that. That Fox Sports North is a different broadcast experience than other markets' regional telecasts. I mean, I obviously, you know, fueled by Jim and, and fostered by David Marney you really, you really do have the most honest and objective regional telecast in the country. I mean, I, yes, like they're team employees, so there's a there's a homer angle there to some degree. Um, but trust me, man, I'm I'm watching the other team broadcasts on League Pass, and this is so much better. It does not represent the quality of play. Um, I'm, I'm actually just sad that you don't all have access to this because in, in my head, I, I really do feel like Jim is sort of the physical embodiment of the of the Timberwolves fan base. You know, he's he's a he's a Wolves fan. He, he's he's rationally critical, yet still a homer at heart. Like Jim's about this team, and and in a way, you know, I feel like that's similar to. Those of you out there listening to this, and that—that's a—that's a cool, rare thing. But to the game, for those of you who did watch um, this one on FSN or ESPN, you know exactly where tonight broke down and and just kind of turned into that evil snowball rolling down the hill again. And it was the middle of the third quarter. It was when the Warriors just left Josh Okogie wide open from three on four consecutive possessions, and Josh missed four consecutive wide open three pointers, while. Draymond Green, Draymond Green of all people was yelling at Josh to shoot it. It was with uh, it was with seven minutes and 57 seconds left in the third quarter that the Wolves were only down by seven, 67 to 60, and that's when Okogi took and missed his first three. Go to the other side of the floor. Warriors have the ball. Wiggins gets to the free throw line, makes two free throws, 69-60. Then it was another wide open. Aoki missing his three from above the break. On the other end, Draymond gets a dunk, 71-60. to Same thing on the other end again, only this time Okogie was wide open in the corner where he missed a third straight three. On the other end, Wiggins gets a dunk for Golden State, and it's 73-60. to Other end again, Josh misses his fourth consecutive missed three. The next possession is a dead ball, and Saunders subs in McLaughlin for Okogie. That time right there was a minute and 38 seconds on the clock. And in that time, the Wolves fell down to... 73 to 60 and it was it was all because of Kogi missed four straight threes but that was just the beginning of it because this compounded they they had to take a Kogi out of the game because the Warriors were leaving them wide open and without a Kogi the Wolves just couldn't defend Steph Curry to save their lives I mean the, the Wolves need a Kogi to play because he's the only player not just in this game but every team has you know their best offensive weapon and, and Josh Kogi is the only player on the Wolves roster remotely capable of containing a player like a Steph. And with the Kogi out of the game, this is this is this is what happened. This is these were the Warriors final 12 shots of the quarter. They made 10 out of 12 of them. Damian Lee made 3. Curry made 3. Wiseman missed mid-range jumper. Damian Lee with another made 3. Draymond with a layup. Wiggins fouled, gets two more free throws. Next possession, Wiseman dunk. Possession after that, another Curry made 3. After that, Wiseman hook shot make. Wiseman then, uh, uh, this is the second miss, he misses a mid-range pull-up. After that, it's another Curry three, and then the final possession of of the third quarter, Curry makes a layup to close the quarter. The Warriors only missed two shots after Akogi left the game, and they were both ugly James Wiseman mid-range jumpers and that's just because the warriors got whatever they wanted when they were running their actions the same actions that akogi was helping to shut down in the first half and and just like that by the end of the third quarter the wolves are up the warriors are up by 20 it was 95 to 75 this is this is not an isolated problem to this one game i mean the wolves are approaching a serious like damned if you do damned if you don't situation with this akogi thing I asked Saunders post game about how they, they were actually doing a good job on Curry in the first half and then just how it all fell apart in the second half because basically Kogi became unplayable due to how he was just getting exposed offensively. Ryan, when you're defending Steph in the first half, it seemed like you guys were doing a really good job of kind of switching everything off ball around, around the centers there. Would you say that's kind of the reason why you were able to slow him in the first half? Yeah. And then in the second half, what – was something breaking down there in those off-ball switches?
2: Yeah, no, and it's uh, you know, ironically, it was away from our bench, um, you know, in the first half. So, you know, hey, sometimes that can play against you, where guys feel like they got to, you know, naturally, they feel like they got to do more communicating, um, you know, because it's your defense is not in front of your 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 bench right there, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so, you know, it but in the second half, I just think, I just think we had game plan mistakes. And that's kind of been the theme, theme of, you know, our droughts in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, everything goes hand in hand, you know, game plan mistakes, you're taking the ball at the net, like we're, I was just talking, you know, then you're, you're having trouble to score, trouble scoring. Um, but, you know, I, I did like the positives in the first half. It's a 48-minute game though.
3: And then with, with Josh there too, when he isn't shooting the ball as well, are there things you can do as a coach um, to use him more as a screener um, in, in, in those situations, or is that not really a possibility when he's at the three or can he be tucked into the corner or, or does he just need to be taking those with where he is when he's yeah. off?
2: The I'm never going to, I'm never telling him not, not to shoot the ball. I mean, that's, that's what we, we need from that position. Um, you know, it's, I mean, we, you can do things to, to try to hide guys, but um, you know, the, the tough thing is, is, you know, when, when you, you know, you, you how teams are playing now, they, they almost mock off certain guys. And so it's, it's all about, you know, if, if you place them, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, down that dunker area or whoever, whoever, um, you know, then you're kind of shutting off the rim prote- protection a little bit too, you know, they're making it easier on the opponent. So, um, you know, I want Josh, Josh to shoot the ball. You know, he's gonna he's gonna find the stroke. He'll he'll make those. So um, I'll never tell him not not to shoot the ball.
3: That see, that continued green light there for a player like Josh Kogi that Ryan Saunders is talking about is what I'm talking about when I I say you're signing up for a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. That blind belief in a Kogi to be able to knock down open catch and shoot threes is just. It's just misguided. I mean, we're, we're at the point here where we know that isn't Josh Okogi's game. Last season, 209 players in the NBA took 100 or more catch-and-shoot three-pointers. Okogie ranked dead last in three-point percentage there in catch-and-shoots. He was 34 of 128, 26.6%. And tonight, after his four missed catch-and-shoot threes, Okogie's now 3 of 21 on those same shots this season. That's 14.2%. I mean, you compare that to the league average on threes, all threes, which is, includes off the dribble, includes half court heaves. League average on a three pointer is 36.5%. I think it's just it's fair to say that it's more likely than not that Kogi will never be a player who shoots even 33% on catch and shoot threes in any single season of his career. If he's given this this same green light, now there's a chance he could. There's always a chance. But I just don't see how you can look at this problem and say that is the more likely outcome. And that's and that's why I continue to just give him this green light, because quote, that's what you need from that position, it, it does, it just feels misguided. This is what I was talking about with Britt last week when I brought up the wolf sort of like be all you can be, you know, mantra approach, you know, versus just being what you are. Joshua Kogi isn't a bad player just because he can't consistently knock down threes. There's a spot for him on a team, and I mean, I hear what Saunders is saying about how if you put a Kogi in the dunker spot, you know, that would congest things at the rim, and that would help the defense, but this is helping, the, this is helping the defense too, and that's why I feel like at a minimum, the the adjustment for a Kogi needs to be to only shoot in corner threes. He's he's just got to line up in the corner if he's going to be on the perimeter, I, I, I don't It's just too wishful to have him above the break. I mean, for his career, Okogi has made 33% of his corner threes. And from above the break, not the corner, he's only made 24% of his threes in his career. That issue is compounded because only one-third of Okoge's threes in his career have come from the corner. So if if twice as many have come from above the break, that's just a hoping-to-get-lucky strategy. If... If that's what you need from the position, okay, then, well, it seems pretty clear that a Kogi needs to play a different position. I, I know Jared Vanderbilt and Jada McDaniels have been two of the more encouraging stories for the Wolves this season, but they're, they're arguably playing Josh Akogi, who is the Wolves best defender. They're playing Josh Akogi's best position when they're getting all the minutes at power forward. If you need a Kogi in for defense, which they do given this roster then it feels like he needs to be able to play power four that power four position on offense. He'll still guard Steph or he'll be the point of attack defender on defense, but he needs to be able to play the four on offense. His 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 current offensive role is only going to work if teams respect him from three and he can, you know, catch the ball and move it along. And I, I just don't know how any team watches the film from this game tonight or even Glances at the numbers and doesn't decide to just have Okogi's man sag off him next game. It just it's just at the point where it feels like something that has to change. On a more positive note, uh, let's move on to Nas Reed, who has been averaging in these six games without cap, fourteen points per game, six boards, and three blocks. But first we'll take a quick break. What's up, everybody? We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers are betting on.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
3: Advantage of pro systems, which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network pro subscription is the way to get started. And for a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to ActionNetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50, five zero. This offer won't last, so go to ActionNetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. All right, Nas Reed. Like I said, uh, Nas has moved in the starting lineup these past six games and is averaging 14, 6, and 3 blocks per game. And he's shooting 58% from 2 in those games and 40% from 3. And for me, Nas is just a really fascinating player on a lot of levels. He's he's not only like flashed some good play, but he's he's an interesting sort of archetype of a player. Well, we've we've been through this before, but Nas was an undrafted free agent a year ago, and and then he was initially signed. I don't if people remember this. He was initially signed to a two way contract out of the draft. You know, spoil, if he if he if he would have stayed on that two way contract, you know, he would have never had Jordan McLaughlin. But after training camp, the Wolves decided to rip up that contract, and they offered they offered Nas a four-year, $6.2 million, not a year, $6.2 million total deal, which means Nas is basically inked to a minimum contract for four years. And every one of those years is also non-guaranteed, which means he's literally on the most team-friendly NBA contract you can have. And Nas, is, he's clearly outperforming it. I mean, Saunders and Rosas, understandably, both clearly love him. I mean, he is a poor man's cat and he's getting paid one 30th of what cat is getting paid. But I think that the most fascinating thing for me is how his game is just is the walking embodiment of, of what the wolves hope to have in terms of offensive shot selection. I mentioned this the other night on the pod, but Nas has literally never taken a mid range shot. He's taken 384 shots in his career. No mid range, 146 threes, which he's made 35% of on his career, 33% last year, 39% this year. And he's taken 238 twos. None of which have come from between 16 feet and the three-point line. None, zero. That's just that's just wild to me. I asked him about that tonight uh after the game when he again scored 19 points on all threes, layups and free throws. Naz uh Ryan said you're maybe one of the most coachable players um he he's ever been around and and I was just kind of curious what this adjustment now in two years for you has been, or if it has been an adjustment to playing in a system that is basically only shooting threes and twos. Like you, I don't think you've ever shot a mid range shot. Is that a is that a has been a natural thing for you to kind of do that?
2: I've never shot mid range shot even high school, AU, college. I've never shot a mid range. I, I hate mid range shots. That's not not that I can't shoot them. It's just I don't feel right shooting. I feel like the system of two, three, three throws is a proper system.
3: So that's not like an like a analytics sort of thing. You just no, you kind just, of buy into that. Yeah,
2: just I just, stuff. I never really, I never really saw me I've never really had to, had, I really, I never really needed to anyway. It's always been like, but, I, but floated uh, by the rim or. Free throw or three. I never really had to shoot a mid range, or I never been putting that predicament to shoot a mid range anyway.
3: I guess that's just a sign of the times. I mean, I I can't imagine having grown up and just never shooting the ball from a pretty big area on the floor. It's it's. I guess that's why Nas Reed is twenty one and I'm thirty one. Um, before tonight's game, I was I was going through and watching some of Nas's film on synergy, and I was I was noticing that that he's he's been obviously playing a bigger role. And because of that, he's been been catching the ball in that sort of 18 ish foot range. I mean, it's with a bigger role, you know, you're you're catching the ball in more spots. And as I'm watching that, you know, part of me is wondering if maybe he should be just shooting those 18 footers occasionally, which (laughs) now uh, after asking about it, I pretty clearly just know isn't going to happen, but it is an interesting question of like, what do you do there? If you catch the ball in that spot and if, You're not going to shoot it, but it's a scoring situation. Your only real option is to drive into the rim where your defender is. And I don't have the analytical capability to do this, but I'd be curious to know what the risk reward there would be. I wonder if that driving into a set defender at the rim is more profitable than just catching and shooting the wide open mid range shot. I mean, by driving in, you're. You're signing up for the likelihood of a heavily contested shot at the rim, which is great because it's at the rim, but you're also signing up for the possibility of committing a charge. I mean, I I think that he could probably make that wide-open mid-ranger 40% of the time. Would that be more valuable than barreling to the rim? I don't know. I I, I kind of asked Saunders about that before the game. Here's what he had to say. Ryan, uh, Nas Reed has obviously taken on a much bigger role and kind of thrived in it recently. I'm I'm kind of curious if when, when he has a bigger role like this and he's catching the ball in more places, does he have more freedom to do additional things? I was just like, he's never taken a mid-range shot, for example, in his career. So no. I'm getting a couple of catches in those spots. Like, I, I don't know. Does that, can yeah. it expand for a role
2: player? Yeah, I mean, it, it does, you know, and and it's, uh, you know, anytime, anytime guys are used to, are, are put into the situations where maybe, you know, this wasn't his role to begin the season. You know, you can you can say we don't want you to do more than more than you've been doing, but naturally, you know, you're going to be put in situations where you, you are asked to do more. Um, you know, that's that's what it means to, to be a competitor. And um, you know, when when you bring up Nas not taking a mid range shot, I mean, I think one one thing I think that that shows when I say Nas is maybe the most coachable player I've ever been around. I mean that he is maybe the most coachable player I've ever been around in all my years in the NBA. And whatever is asked of Nas he's going to do. And I mean, I haven't heard him say anything, you know, back talk, anything like that. And, you know, maybe, maybe he does not always, you know, do it perfectly, but he's always going to attempt to. And um, I think that's just a credit to Nas and, and you know, him, him buying into, you know, our, our, shot spectrum and the things that we value. That's some pretty high praise right there.
3: And, and to me just further contributes to my sort of fascination with what Nas Reed can become. I mean, I think we are officially at the point because it hasn't only been on the offensive side where, where Nas has grown, where his, his ceiling in the league, I think, is certainly higher than just being a solid backup center. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested to see what Saunders decides, how Saunders decides to use Nas once Cat's back. I, we haven't seen it yet, but I think it's time to bust out the Cat and Nas two man pairing in the front court. I, I know Nas has been a center, but doesn't he check a lot of the stretch four boxes? I, I do know for a fact that way back before Cat was ruled out um, with his wrist injury, that the Wolves were thinking about starting Nas next to Cat in that third game of the season against the Lakers. And obviously, part of that is you know, the, the Lakers being massive and starting Marcus Allen and Anthony Davis in the front court. But that you know, I've, I've had that in the back of my mind at this hinting that it, it's a it's a thing that they're open to doing. Obviously, that didn't happen in that game because by the time they got to L.A., they found out that Cat's wrist was broken, which made me look really dumb on Twitter for saying the expectation for him was to play, but it was and then it wasn't. So Nas just started in Cat's place that night and obviously not next to him because Cat didn't play. But I don't know. Part of me just wonders if if part of the answer to the Wolves power forward problem, which is the problem, if in the near term, the answer just isn't Nas. Obviously, Vanderbilt has been a nice little flash in the pan. I mean, he's he's bringing the effort, but I think we can all agree that he's probably best fit as an energy big off the bench. I mean, that's not a that's not a bad role. That's it's a, a lot more than, than he he came into the season expecting. And I think Jaden McDaniels has earned a, the right to be considered as an option in the rotation too. But but McDaniels could play the three. I I just don't think that playing Nas at the four. Necessarily has a big impact on either Vanderbilt or McDaniel's, which is a good thing. You want them to still play. The real impact here would be, and this is probably why it's a a wall we're running into, is that the impact would be on Wancho, as that would, you know, all but phase him out of the rotation. I, and that that seems justified based on Wancho's play, of course, but not justified when you look at the salaries. I I am curious though if you know there's going to be this phasing Wancho back in sort of thing where, you know, he's coming back from COVID and not playing for a long time where, you know, maybe he's just out of the rotation at the beginning until he gets a handful of practices in like, can Nas show you something in those few games that week or whatever it is? Again, I don't know. I mean, it, it <laughs> we don't have a lot of good options of things to do. And I feel like that would be an interesting one to try out. So I don't know. We will, we'll see what happens there. That's all I got for tonight. Uh, The Wolves are back at it at home Friday night against Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Philly. Uh, Saunders was asked before tonight's game if there was, or actually after tonight's game, if there was any possibility of Cat or Wancho being back for that game. And Saunders said that there's been no update on either of their status in the health and safety protocols. So it seems likely that those two will again be out. Jarrett Culver seems likely to miss that game as well, or... There just wasn't an update on his ankle when we asked about that post game. Uh, D'Angelo Russell seems like the most likely, um, to return. Saunders said that Russell was able to go through a full practice on Tuesday, but was still sore enough to not play in the game on Wednesday tonight against Golden State. Um, I, I would guess we see Russell back this weekend on Friday against Philly or Sunday against Cleveland. Um, but if not, it's the same group again. Uh, this same group that has a very small margin for error if they plan on competing in any game. I mean, we're now all the way to 4-13. and 13. It's, it's, it's This is just the truth of the situation. It's going to be very tough to come by wins until whenever Cat is back. But in the meantime, we'll keep finding stupid things on this show like mid-range jumpers and my continued belief um, that Josh Okogi is best suited at power forward. There's always... There's always something to talk about. Uh, We'll see if I can't bother Britt to join me again uh, too, you know, before the end of the week. But if not, I will be back after the Sixers game on Friday night. Until then, I'm Dane. Peace out.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why?